Hey, this is Tom Sullivan. Thanks for listening to Forging Ahead. I'm breathing some new life into this project by inviting guests to come on and teach us about a topic that they know as well as anyone on earth because they've done it and are doing it today. These are the real deal practitioners. If you enjoy this, please leave a review on Apple or send this to a friend. Thanks. I've got my brother, Jeff Sullivan, on the pod this week. And just to give you some context, Jeff, to set the table here, Forging Ahead has become a teaching podcast where we invite people on to teach about a subject that they know better than anybody else on earth. And I feel like uh, you know sales and inside sales specifically as well as anybody that I know. So that's what I want to talk about today. So why don't you give us an intro on uh, just like a little bit of your sales journey and bring us forward to what you're doing today. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for that, T. And um, yeah, so right out of college, I started working at uh, a company called ICI, which was actually a, a partner of EMC. So I was selling uh, technology solutions, you know, uh, very like old school inside sales, like making tons and tons of phone calls, no real CRM, like having to look everything up on your own. Um, then uh, we did our stint together. And then after that, I worked for a publicly traded company called Enernock in Boston, which has since uh, gotten acquired by a large company overseas in Europe. Um, from there, I was I took on a new role as the first uh, inside sales rep at a company called Cyber Reason, which is a um, heavily uh, um, funded startup in Boston, um, still around today, uh, cybersecurity space, and then got the opportunity through some people that I met there to actually come over to a company called Drift. And Drift is where I currently work today. Uh, been here for, I actually just hit my three-year anniversary last week. Um, thank you, man. Uh, feels again, like honestly, like it's been 10 years or, or like, you know, 10 months. It's, it's very, very crazy, uh, space and like where we're at from a company perspective. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my selling background, all inside sales, you know, from true like SDR, BDR work all the way to like, you know, closing rep today, all inside. Um, what rep were you at Drift? I was the eighth sales rep at Drift. Uh, we have about 75 reps today. Got it. Can you give us a little bit of um, just a primer on the different roles that exist inside of an inside sales organization? So I want to not go, I think anybody that's going to listen to this knows BDR, SDR, but mm-hmm. if we can um, go light on buzzword bingo and acronyms, <laughs> let's let's do that. So tell us a little bit about the different roles that exist in an inside sales organization. Yeah, definitely. So I think like most startups, when I was at Drift, um, we were, you know, just account executives selling to anyone and and selling anything. Um, but to give you more of a background on today, since we do have a, a large sales organization, we have um, five or six different roles. So we have folks that we call chat development reps, which basically uh, use our own product that we sell on a day-to-day basis to try to book meetings for sales reps. 
Then we also have an organization of SDRs uh, that are broken up by um, what we call mid-market and enterprise. So basically just selling it to different company sizes. Mid-market, you know, you're typically looking at companies that have 1,500, an employee, 1500 employees and below, while enterprise is anything greater than that. Um, so those folks are the ones that you can think about that are like, you know, cold calling, cold emailing, LinkedIn prospecting, basically just trying to drum up uh, meetings for the outside sales team. And then within our actual closing reps, we have three different specializations. So we have a growth team, a mid-market team, and an enterprise team. And uh, again, those are segmented by employee size. So selling it to different size companies that have different challenges and, and opportunities. And then about a year ago, I actually got tapped to start our first dedicated EMEA-based sales team. So um, I interviewed internally for the role against about 10 of my peers and was selected to start this uh, new sales org at Drift. And basically, we had a, a following as well as customer base in Europe, but we didn't have anyone dedicated to actually selling into, uh, into Europe. So that's basically what I've started and been working on for the last year. Is that breakdown kind of standard across similar size businesses where you have um, BDRs closing inside reps and then some kind of like field or enterprise presence? Exactly right. And typically it's based off of some sort of firmographic data, whether, but the two common ones that we hear most of the time in other companies as well is like employee size or revenue. Those are typically how you break down who you're selling into. But the way that we're organized as a sales team is very standard across um, startups and you know upstarts, as people like to call them, where you're actually out of the startup phase, but still operating as a startup. Tell us the story about um, the European adventure here. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, was was definitely like sort of a, a leap of faith, I think. For me, and we'll probably get into this a little bit more, but what I've always been kind of thinking about is like what's next internally at Drift to make myself more attractive and honestly like harder to replace um, or harder to get rid of. Because if you think about it, you know, you have 60 reps that are closing. There aren't just 60 new jobs internally that exist. So anything you can do to market yourself and do different things and start new things internally, I think is super important. Um, so that's why I took this on and it's pretty crazy. So when we were actually in the office, uh, myself and, and one other guy on the team, we were coming into the office at 4am. So we shifted our hours to 4am to 1pm, meaning for, you know, 70% of the day, we literally had no interaction with another soul, uh, working in complete darkness at your desk like that is, it's certainly challenging. It's, it's, um, it's pretty difficult. And it was, it was tough to get started. But once you get in that rhythm, you obviously pick it up. Um, I think the biggest things that were challenging about Europe is not only is the culture completely different, but the way that they buy is completely different. So at Drift, we tout ourselves as the new way that businesses buy from other businesses. And in the US, um, you know, people buy pretty standard. Um, but in Europe, what we started to learn was, you know, uh, I always like to say that in, in Europe, um, 
they don't live to work, they work to live, and they take off about as much time as anyone you'd ever talk to. Um, they're always going on holiday, always out of the office. Um, and we're talking for significant parts of you know, our summer here. So like the month of July and August is essentially no one is working in Europe. <laughs> and sounds great. That's amazing. It's amazing. But because of that, the way that they buy software is completely different in the sense that they operate much slower. They are never like under the gun to get something done like we we do here in the US. And also they are very used to buying in a way that they either can try something before committing to a contract um, or they get something for free up front. And at Drift, I'm balancing the fact that Europe is similar to buying the way that people in the US and the way that we sold in 2017, but now we're getting into 2021. So trying to balance the trajectory of our business as a, you know, as a sales team selling annual multi-annual agreements and trying to balance that to customers who don't know who we are, don't know what value we can, we can provide and buy and act completely different than we do. Yeah. And the, one of the big things for you taking that role was you were going to go live in London, right? Exactly. So one of the perks of that and, you know, something that was definitely a huge decision to make was um, we were supposed to physically relocate to London to open our first physical office outside of the US. Um, That was supposed to happen between January and March of 2020. Um, You know, I look at it both ways. One, like, I'm pretty lucky that it did get pushed out because, you know, being trapped over there in that environment would probably be quite tough with the way things are right now. But also, it's it's a huge bummer because we really don't know when work is going to go back to normal, if I'm even going to move to London still in the first place. Um, so what we've been doing is prioritizing um, getting people that are physically located in Europe uh, that are going to be joining the team today. But yeah, that was a huge selling point. Um, I was going to commit to two years of living in London, opening that office. And, you know, based on everyone I talked to that had done similar, like it it could have been a huge career starter. It still can be, but it's just quite different. Yeah. And just, I know that that's been hard. So I just want to acknowledge that without doing kind of a a hard shift here. But like one thing that's been interesting to me about your career that I think is valuable for younger professionals um, coming out of school and, you know, other situations where they can take a little bit more risk. I mean, talk to me about, I guess, candidly, like, I've I've been in a sales ish role, um, mostly just as like a misfit because I didn't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. And I think sales can be uh, with a decent attitude and a lot of effort. You can kind of like will your way to be quasi successful, uh, which makes it something that you know a lot of people can try at least. But talk about maybe trying to find a company that you can join as a salesperson really early and then kind of go on one of these, as my friend Henry Johnson says, like rocket ship rides. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really good point. And I think before that, like a couple things to call out. 
um, being in sales and not really knowing if like that's what you want to do is one of the hardest places to ever be. Um, I always talk about you know the peaks and valleys of sales. Like it's it's constant um, change. Whether at any company, you talk to anyone that's been in software sales, like the peaks of winning a deal are you know, amazing. And what keeps you back kind of like hitting a good shot in golf, but you go out and shoot 110, like you hit one good shot, you're going to play again. It's the same thing with sales where you close deals and you remember why you like it so much. But the dog days of like summer things being slow, not being able to, you know, close deals or book meetings is literally one of the most mentally toughest places that I've ever been. And it and it repeats, it's a cycle, it happens all the time. Um, but to that effect, getting back to your point, I think what is attractive to me and what has really always been attract- attractive to me is um, trying to balance like risk with potential reward in a sales role. So my move from cyber reason as literally the first rep there inside to drift could be looked at as a lateral move. However, when you weigh that against the other important factors that I think everyone should think about when taking a job, which in this space to me is who are the founders and what is their story? What have they done? Um, Who are your customers? So who's buying the product and like, what does that look like? Do you want to be selling to those types of companies? And then, you know, who, who is giving you money? Like who are the, who is the, the venture, uh, capital groups or companies that have given you guys money and who have they invested in that, you know, leads you to think that this was a good bet for you. So those are all things I thought about when I came to drift and knowing that our two co-founders, you know, have started multiple companies with multiple exits have, you know, building HubSpot, which is a pillar company in Boston, no matter what you think about HubSpot, um, it is an incredible success story and has made lots of people rich. And what I think is super appealing about Drift and this, you know, and startups in general is it's, I, I personally think it's very difficult to get rich from your salary in sales. However, what's appealing is an event like going public or even being acquired, but like going through a company that has these crazy visions of wanting to be like the next pillar company in Boston and outlasting, you know, the four years of your options actually vesting and having them mean something, you know, the the upside of drift and companies like drift is what I think is super appealing to sales. Um, because I truly think that's like, you know, uh, a life changing or life altering event is some if you can last this, and do a great job, and you know, your company gets to that point. Um, that, in my opinion, is is how you create wealth and also sets you up for basically anything you want to do. So if you look at the leaders at the top companies in Boston, even at Drift, like they've all been through this before. They've all been part of special companies, whether it's you know HubSpot or LogMeIn, whatever it may be. And in my opinion, that is what's appealing. And if I were getting out of school or even you know, a few years out of school, it's something that I would always be looking for, for who's hiring and, and what are those, what's the background of the company and those three things that I described. I think that's great. It's almost like looking at it 
as like an investor and Mm -hmm. you are investing, you're investing a chunk of time and your career piece of your career to see if you can have go along for one of these rides and contribute to one of these financial outcomes. And um, so I think like just to sum that back up, because I think that's really valuable to people that are looking to either make a move or really early in their careers, you're really looking for track record and you want to be as early as you can, right? hundred percent. People that are joining Drift today um, don't stand. First of all, it's not as risky, so they shouldn't, but they don't stand to have as meaningful an outcome as somebody that was, you know, the first through 10th rep, right? Totally. I totally agree with that. And one thing to note too, and I think one of the most challenging things about startups is the fact that it is so difficult to stay for like, as you know, several years at one company, no matter what team you're on, like you could be the first rep at drift, but if your style is like wheel and deal transactional, and now we're selling, you know, million dollar deals, like odds are you're not going to be the, the right person for the job anymore. So outlasting that curve and change over time, I think is so difficult. And people that last a long time at companies, like when I look at that, it's one thing I think about a lot, which is like, wow, they must have done a great job. Also went through hell, but like outlasted and deserve whatever's coming to them. Because we've we've gone through so many different like changes at Drift. It's honestly like working for five different companies that I think the people that are there early and risk what they risk and can actually stay in the role, I think deserve all the credit in the world because it's it definitely is not an easy thing to do and and especially pre pre pandemic. I mean, you spend the majority of your life in the office. It sucks mm-hmm. to say, but like if there's nothing on the other end that's like every day you you wake up and you go into the office and you have something to think about like that, it, it's just it's really not worth it in my opinion. Yeah, say a little bit more about the mindset because it's not just um like you don't wake up every day like somebody who's a day trader and they log in and they check the value of their account. It's not like you're doing this math every morning before you log in on, you know, here are what my options are and here's what they're potentially worth at X, Y, and Z outcome. To me, that's not enough to sustain four, five, six, seven years of effort. Like what else is in there? Like, What else have you trained yourself to do? Yeah, it's a great point too. You're right. Like I don't do that math every day. Like it's something you think about obviously like, you know, a few times over the year based on, you know, what the trajectory of sales are are looking like and what other companies are doing, right? Like right before the pandemic, um lots of companies and lots of our customers uh went public, so it's always interesting to see like how they're doing, how they performed, what their stock looks like and think about what that could mean if, if we did something similar. Um, but to your point, I think it's like, I've learned a lot at drift of like how important it actually is to be part of a company like this, just being on the team, right. Being on the team of someone who's done this because you know, how many startups are out there that are never going to get to this point. Like what we're doing right now is even 
you know, where we've been, like it's, I've learned so much from not only the team, but just being part of this type of a, a culture and a ride, if you will, that I think that is super important for whatever you do next. Um, it's funny, something that DC and Elias, who are our co-founders say a lot is like, they don't expect everyone really to be at drift, right? Like what they want is for drift to set you up for your life and for what happens next. Their goal and vision for drift is to create an enduring company and a pillar company here, but they are super realistic in the fact that like, not everyone's going to be here. And what they want to do is positively affect you for however long you're at drift and what comes next, because that's always sort of top of mind. Um, so I guess it's being part of a team like this is one thing that's really appealing. Um, and then it is really important about who you work with and like the actual like people that you can learn from. Um, so that from like a networking perspective in itself, I think is worth it because we attract high quality talent in every organization at drift and having that network, um, is super important. And I think it all leads back to like what's next after drift, however long that may be. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool to hear all that. Um, just to get back to like the inside sales job mm -hmm. and just to generalize, um, like coming from my seat, I'm curious to hear what you think because I couldn't do it. You know, I did, my first job out of school, I worked at EMC and I lasted exactly one year. Um, and I just, uh, sometimes I say like, I'm just not an indoor cat. Like <clears throat> basically you get this slice of territory you get at that time you were given like a script. You're given almost people you should call. Here's what you should say. Here's what you can expect to happen. And, and that was really hard for me. So I'm curious to hear about if, and I'm sure you've done this actually too, but when people are new to, to inside sales, maybe it's their first job out of school or their first sales job. Um, what habits or behaviors do you try to coach into them to help them be successful? And I guess don't give me the fucking Kool-Aid sales answer. Like tell me about actually showing up and doing the job and trying to maintain a positive attitude. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's the hardest part about, sales is trying because the thing is you're not going to be positive every day and someone who tells you that you are is full of shit um it is an extremely difficult job that i wonder from time to time why i do it because it's constant you know put down defeat etc so i think when you like get into this i think like having that mindset of not giving a fuck right like no matter what the outcome is i'm getting tougher like mentally and physically by like picking up the phone or like pushing back on a on a prospect at the end of the day it's like all you're doing is trying to have conversations with other humans which is super interesting it's also like terrifying because you always think the worst is going to happen before the best and I think if you can show up each day and like put in the work, right? You're not going to just be, a, if you show up every day and sit at your desk and just bitch and moan about 
having to pick up the phone or having to send an email or like, oh, my manager's making, you know, saying I should have 50 emails a day, you're not going to be successful. So if you can like mentally commit to understanding that it is going to be difficult, it's going to be a lot of rejection and not a lot of wins. I think that mindset is really important. So like someone who's, you know, been through some shit before, but has bounced back as someone who ideally I think would do well in this type of a role. Um, so it, it really is as simple as like putting in the work. And if you actually think about it deep down and think about like your colleagues or p- people that you work with, a lot of people don't do that in sales. A lot of people, you know, think that they do that. And I'm guilty of this too. But at the end of the day, like a lot of people are, are coasting mentally and physically. So I think if you're first getting into this and to your point can like commit, commit yourself to like milestones, like say that you're going to do X, Y, and Z for six months and then say you're going to do it for a year and, and see what happens. Because if you can last a year, EMC was quite different for you. But like if you could have lasted a year at Drift, you see sort of the light on the other side where you're part of a company that's growing like a weed. And you're going to be much better at your job and earning more money if you could have gotten through that period. So I think it's, it, it is like, it's almost a total mindset game. Anyone can write a good email. Anyone can, you know, uh, well, you can be taught how to do that. Exactly. Exactly. Like you're not, anyone can like be taught how to write an email and be given a script, but like, not being a robot, making it your own. And like, also I think committing mentally to like a time period is the only way that you can like get through it because it can be very demoralizing to be in this type of a role. Um, and I think for me, I'm very lucky with where I am right now because we have, this is another thing I would look for would be like brand presence and like marketing. We like, it is not easy to sell Drift, but it is very easy to have a conversation with someone about Drift because of how good our marketing team is. And because of someone like Dave Gerhart, who literally shouted to every single person who would you know, listen to him about what Drift was and what we were doing. So that part for me is, is huge. But it is, I think it's, it's as simple as thinking about mindset and like putting in the work because... If you can do that, you're going to beat most of your your peers who everyone's on the same team, but ultimately like they're your competitor, like you want to do better than everyone on your team. And if you can do though, like have a great mindset so that, you know, leadership thinks of you as someone who's a positive person, plus just like putting in the work and giving the effort, I think you're, you'll be further along than most people just because of those two things. What about some of the actual work? Like looking back on my sales jobs, had I been tough enough to train myself to like start each day trying to have like 10 wicked uncomfortable conversations. Mm -hmm. Like I think if you could do that every day, you'd be, you know, in the top 10% of all salespeople, no matter what your company is like, what what are some of the habits maybe maybe that you observe in top performers at Drift in yourself that you'd tell somebody else to try to like make theirs like stuff that you can mm-hmm. actually do? I think one of the reasons why I'm 
like very comfortable speaking with people like when I'm on the phone with them is because I was in multiple jobs before where cold calling was like the only way. It really sucks to say and and things have shifted, right? Cold calling is definitely not dead. You see articles about this all the time, but there are so many other channels now to connect with prospects and customers where you don't just pick up a phone book necessarily and just make dials, but the idea and uh, the skill of being able to pick up the phone and like talk to people is so underrated in my opinion. So like making to your point, like when I was at Enternock, one thing that I tried to do that got me ahead was trying to get to the office 30 minutes before anyone else and making being the first one on the phone of a legit bullpen of sales reps, like 40 people who are all on the phone. I remember my director there, like he would shoot me a an you know a private message just saying like thank you for being the first one on the phone. Like having that be here, not only like the way you start your day, but also like the way that people look at you, I think is so important. So I would say a job that requires you to pick up the phone and like be able to have those uncomfortable conversations to your point is so important. Um, because if you if you can rip ten dials or send 10 awesome emails to prospects, whether it's, you know, outbound or just like following up on inbound, like leads. Um, I think that just sets you off for such a good day. Uh, one thing I always tried to do at Enternock was we had a goal of like call it 50 dials a day. I would always try to be as close as possible to that by lunchtime. Because if you could do that, then the rest of your day, you were like in such a great mindset and you could focus on things that were, you know, revenue generating versus just trying to hit, you know, some leading indicators that you were measured on. So I think that's really important to your point is like starting the day with high quality revenue generating activities that are going to set you up for the rest of your day versus getting to your desk at nine, having a bagel and cream cheese, checking bar stool, taking a leak, checking bar stool and not starting your day until like 1030. Um, that's something that I think is really important. Um, and I guess like other skills too. Um, something that, that I learned like early on uh, was like really leveraging LinkedIn. Like I think I'm very solid at LinkedIn and like being able to not only find the right people, but use something to my advantage to like have a conversation with them. And one other thing that I learned at Drift that's so cool, and this is directly from Dave Gerhardt, is like very rarely, if you think about it, do people respond to like a first meeting or a first call and like they're dying to have a meeting with you. So like not asking for a meeting or really having like any strong call to action on your first outreach to someone, I think is so important. It's just like, hey, I'm reaching out to you because I noticed like, X, Y, or Z, whether it's you came from this company, this is what you focused on. You wrote an article on LinkedIn about this and relevant company X like does this. Happy to share more ideas with you. Like leave it at that. And then the next outreach, you can start to think about closing more. I think people who, and you see this a lot is like people ask for the meeting too early. They have horrific emails that are like, are you available Tuesday for 15 minutes at 10 a.m. What are you going to do in 15 minutes? It took me 30 minutes to start this podcast with you. <laughs> so I think just like the mindset of 
I think it goes back to like playing the long game in my opinion, which is you're not going to have like short, super short term, like positive results. It's always going to be kind of about the journey itself. And if you can play the long game and understand that, I think you're in a better spot mentally. Um, so that, that would be one thing. And then I guess another thing that, um, that I, I think about at drift is we, uh, we have like a, I feel like we were lucky in the sense of drift put a, put like, we called it the drift 100, which was the first 100 employees that worked at drift. I think they did such an unbelievable job of assembling that first 100 people because everyone was like so dialed in on DC and Elias's mission. And it became much more than just like a sales job. It was like, we're marching toward the same goal. And because of that, people were generally helpful because they wanted not only like you to do well, but the company. I think if you can like if you can be really helpful that way with new hires and like, don't just say like, Oh, you can join any call on my calendar, but like literally sit with them and help them. Like that was one thing about drift that I think got me off on the right foot and something I've always tried to do since I was hired. Yeah, I guess, um, we're coming up on one. So I want to start to land the plane here. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think we got to the real gold there. So what I heard from you, that people could take away and take to work tomorrow, kind of regardless of where you are in your sales career, especially if you're new, mm-hmm. is be the first one on the phone every day. Yeah, And I think, I think it needs to be that. I don't think it's be the first one to send 10 emails. Like do something harder than that. Agreed. Be the like, first one on the, the phone. phone and die. Be the first one on the phone. I think that's, that's sick. And then I agree with you. And I think I stole it from DG also is um, the goal of prospecting is to start conversations. Yes. It's like the generator response. It's not, it's like, why would I agree to a 20 minute converse? I don't know you. hundred percent. Give me something more than that. So I think um, that kind of long, really long prospecting game and uh, somebody else I interviewed that I published this week uh, Louis Nichols, who teaches founders how to sell, he always says like the first ask is usually way too big. Like, just yes. ask somebody for uh, ask somebody if they're curious about something, or like have a smaller ask. Because especially with some experience as a salesperson, everybody that you reach out to, you would love to close their deal two years from now, right? You know, so it's like there's no reason to to show up in a way that like turns people off. Like you're trying to start a two year relationship with people where maybe you have the opportunity to sell them something. I think that's great. I don't think people can really control the first 100 thing. I love that piece. But if we were to take two things from this conversation, it's like be the first one on the phone, which uh, maybe is a little harder with COVID, right? But Mm -hmm. when your sales bullpens, bullpens reopen be the first one on the phone and think about um an ask where you're just like trying to start a conversation yeah so think about like you we've all seen like the breakup email like that makes me vomit and like pisses me off when people send emails like that that are like oh one like you don't care two it's not the like just shut up 
you're if trapped you're, under something. If so. you're reaching out to someone, one thing I always think about here is if I select an account that I'm going outbound after, it's because I generally think that they will become a Drift customer. It doesn't need to be tomorrow. So why would you leave a taste in someone's mouth in a space that's this small with something shitty like that when you know that 6, 12, 18 months down the road, they could be coming back and actually needing your help at that point. So I think trying to provide as much value as possible. And to your point, that ask being too big. uh, One thing that, um, that we always think about is the ask being something that we do. So it's like the ask isn't for a meeting. The ask is, can I share three ideas or a quick video with you with how I think this could help? Like, can I do something for you? So mm-hmm. it's like the idea of give, 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 then take. So I, I think that's important. And the one thing about the first 100, you're spot on. It's tough to control, but that would go back to your question at the beginning, which is like thinking about taking risk. Because as you mentioned, like the reward of being you know, in the first 10 reps, um, like think about Salesforce, like a crazy example, obviously, but I don't know. Think about like how many people have started companies like become vcs like done so many things because they were early on at salesforce like that's yeah plus you get to put like early uber early drift <laughs> exactly in <your> bio <laughs> god yeah exactly x drift <laughs> x babson <laughs> <laughs> i love that well thanks buddy that was fun i know we got a late start we're at one o'clock right now um but maybe we could do this again with a little bit more um prep work but i think there's some really great stuff in there so yeah man thanks buddy i love you of course love you too thanks for the opportunity really appreciate it